This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 109 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Kentucky Performance Products and Equestrian Collections. Chris Stafford back with you, and now it's the middle of June. We're going to get into a very summery mood this week with a new series on all three of my shows, Dressage, Eventing and Jumping, where I'll be inviting a guest to share with me their dream vacation. So we're going to start that off this week. But first of all, I want to remind you about Kentucky Performance Products. It's that time of the year when your horse will be sweating more and more and needs some help in replenishing fluids. KPP offers a solution with Summer Games Electrolyte. It's a solution that was created for horses that were competing in the Olympic Games. And the formulation is a combination of minerals similar to the levels typically lost in sweat. So Summer Games Electrolytes is very concentrated. It contains minimum sugar and supports normal hydration. Plus, it's palatable and easy to feed. So why not help your horse beat the heat this with summer with Summer Games Electrolyte? To find out more about this product and all of the KPP products, visit kppusa.com or call 1-800-772-1988. And to learn more about horse nutrition, and you can interact with the KPP experts on their Facebook fan page. KPP is a participating retailer of the Horse Well Gives Back campaign too. So our series of Dream Vacations it offers my guests the chance to take four horses and three people with them, all of which can be either living or dead, since this is a dream, and also either two CDs and one book, or one book and two CDs. And at the end, I will tell them where I'm sending them. The idea behind this series is to give you the chance to get to know a more personal side to our guests that we don't usually hear when we talk about training and competitions. So I thought this would be a fun fantasy for them and entertain you too. And you will find that the content does sometimes stray from what you usually hear on the Horse Radio Network and is not in any way an opinion or policy of the network. So starting off this series of Summer Fun with us is a friend of the Dressage Radio Show who, though a U.S. rider, is based in Germany and has often shared the co-host chair with us here, and that is Catherine Haddad. Catherine, what does a vacation mean to you? Well, I think I'm one of those lucky people in life, Chris, and that I, every day is a vacation for me. I get up in the morning and I do what I want to do. I, I walk to the stable with my dog. I ride some of the best horses I've ever been able to get my hands on. I train in the way that I like to. I go to horse shows on the weekend and fascinating places. So my life is basically a vacation. Um, so if I'm actually going to travel to go somewhere to do something that is not part of my job, um, then I would, I would do something different, I think. Well, on this dream vacation, you get to choose four horses that you can take with you, three people who you want to spend that vacation with, and you get to choose two CDs and one book, or that can be one CD and two books. So okay. start with the horses now, four horses that you would take on vacation. 
Okay. How long is this vacation going to be? It's going to be a week. A week. Okay. Well, I could I could not ride for a week. That would be fine. If it's longer than a week, then I would have to take riding horses with me. But if it was only going to be a week, I would take uh, Prince Thatch, who was one of the best breeding stallions in Germany of all time. He was a thoroughbred, a racetrack thoroughbred. And I used him a lot when I was um, in my breeding program, when I was breeding horses, and I got some great offspring from him. So I'd take him along. I'd have to resurrect him because he died, I think, five, six years ago. Um, and I would take my three best broodmares, uh, several of whom I had already crossed with, with Prince Thatch many years ago, and hope that in that six days um, they were all ready to get some things done because I'd just turn them loose wherever you sent us on vacation and um, hope that they could do their breeding thing and that I might be able to come home with a couple pregnant mares from Prince Thatch. So that's, that's the horses I would take with me. Well, tell us why you've chosen him. Obviously, he's a renowned stallion. How did you know about him and what do you know about his offspring? Well, he stood in the region here where I live, very near where I live uh, in Germany. He, he was in the Hanoverian stud book, and he was a fantastic producer of S-horses or FEI-level trained horses. There are a lot of stallions who produce good offspring uh, for materials and things like that. I can think of Beltmeier and Sonderhip. They They make fantastic materials horses. Prince Thatch made unremarkable four- and five-year-olds, but as those horses were trained, they were extremely easy to train, and they were very good in their balance. They had incredible ability to collect, very good in their minds, and you could train them very quickly to the FEI levels. And I think at the time that he died, and I could be wrong because this is a figure I don't really have in my head. I should have researched it. I think he had over 450 horses in his lifetime that he produced that competed at FEI levels. That means pre-St. George or above. It was either 450 individual horses that competed at that level or individual placings. I can't remember. That was a very high figure. Uh, so he was one of the leading producers of uh, basically FEI horses in Germany. Now, how did you get to know him or know of him because he's deceased? Well, um, he was not uh, in the original time when I started breeding here in Germany, which was about 15 years ago, he was a very popular stallion in, in Hanover in this region. And many people talked about the fact that his offspring were so rideable. And when I was training with Willie Schulteis, I happened to have one of these horses fall into my hands. I had purchased him for a client, an extremely talented horse who just fought with you. You know, if you he was only three at the time, but if you cantered across the diagonal and said to yourself, okay, well, I'm going to switch legs and see if he switches legs, he would do a flying lead change. And he was really collectible already. He showed some ability for passage. He really bounced in his trot, and he was very sensitive. And he he thought with the rider. So that's how I got to know of Prince Thatch. And then over the years, I had many, many, many other offspring come through the stable to be trained. And I produced many on my own with my own broodmares. Now, are you going to ride him? Or are you just going to turn him loose with the mares? On vacation? Oh, I'm just going to turn him loose with the mares. He knows what to do. So you wouldn't be doing any riding then, or would you ride your mares sometimes? No, I wouldn't be doing any riding. I would just turn the four horses loose. Of course, it depends on where you're going to take us on vacation. If it's in the middle of Rome, I'm going to have to call somebody down there with a the stable, because I don't know where we're going on vacation yet. But um, wherever we ended up, I would find a place for the horses, and I'd just put them all out together. Well, I can tell you, uh, obviously I'll reveal where you're going at the end of this uh, program. Okay. Catherine, okay. but I can tell you it's an open space, so there is a risk that you may not see them again. I mean, they oh, may take fine. off and do things by nature, and 
You know, it might be that they don't turn around and come look for, looking for you when it's all over. They'll be fine. I know my brood mares. All I have to do is crack a carrot. Anywhere within 20-kilometer radius, they'll find me. Well, it could be even larger than this. They've got a pretty extensive area where they can run free. So you're, okay. confi- you're confident that you can get them back to you and take them home again? Well, I'll put it, I can put a GPS on them. I know, that, I know that they'll all stay together. I'm not worried about that. They'll all stay together because they're horses and that's what they do. So it'd only be a matter of, of making sure that I can find them again at the end. I, if they run away, they, they run away, but they'll be together and I'll find them. Now tell us about the mares. You've chosen three mares. Mm-hmm. What, what is their story? Uh, I would definitely take one of my own. Her name is Elfentons. I don't have her anymore. I sold her last year because uh, I closed my breeding program last year in preparation for my move to the United States. Um, Elfentons is a um, De Niro, and she's out of a Figaro Goldstein mother. And Figaro and Goldstein were both produced both uh, jumping and dressage horses. Very, very rideable line with a lot of movement. De Niro, of course, brought his own element of, of really good dressage movement and a little bit of extra tension in the horses that is sometimes needed at the upper levels today. And but De Niro always produced good movement. This particular mare had the best movement of any horse that I bred, and she passed it on every single time to every foal that she made for me. In fact, we have one of her offspring in the stable now who happens to be by Prince Batch. And uh, he's seven and doing everything from the Grand Prix in such a way that most people drop their jaw when they see it. He's unfortunately too small for me. I, um, I own half of him now with my writer, Casey Dornan, who's much shorter than I am. And she matches him very well. Uh, had he been a hand taller, I, I wouldn't have sold hair on his head. But um, he's quite a small horse. It was the first foal from this mare. But he's extremely talented. And I'd like to have a couple more like him. And how long have you had her? What, 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 what? I bred her. I bred Alphantan. She came out of my Figaro Goldstein mare, who was the, um, what do you call it, Grunstein in English, the um, grounding, the ground... Uh, <sighs> the first horse that I used for breeding, my initial primary mare, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I probably wouldn't take her with me on this island tour. What I would do is go out and look for two more mares um, that caught my fancy. And I always look for certain things in breeding mares. One would be foundation. They have to have really good foundation, very good feet and legs, which Alphandons has. Um, they would have to have good movement and a very good body conformation. And I would study their pedigree, pedigrees and also speak to people who had broken them, them in and ridden them. I wouldn't take any mares that had never been ridden. Talk to them about the riding tests that the mares had done and make sure that they had ride, high rideability and very good, correct characters. Okay. Now, what about your other mares? Um, you mean the ones that I used to own? or The ones that you're going to take with you. The, okay. Well, I would, find, I would find two. I would go out in the neighborhood here and in this area of Oldenburg and Hanover, and I would find two from bloodlines that I like that had all of those qualities, and then I would take Alphantons with me as well. So I'd have to go find two more if I, when I knew this vacation was going to happen. Okay, so you'd have to find two more, and you said that they would have to have been ridden. Yes. So they would Absolutely. have had a career and retired. Not necessarily a career, but at least a mayor test. They would at least have to be tested in the mayor testing when they were three or four years old. I'd have to see the results of their mayor test, um, I'd have to look very closely at their confirmation. If they had any offspring on the ground, I would check their offspring. Um, I actually have one mare in the stable 
let's see, but I'm thinking about crossing with Prince Thatch. So there will be certain types of mares I would look for. Mares from the De Niro line, from the Donner Hall line, uh, Ramiro's Bube line, um, horse, mares that are a little bit heavier in their foundation because Prince Thatch is a thoroughbred, so I'm going to get half thoroughbreds out of, out of all these crosses. Uh, so I'd be looking for a slightly heavier mare. So when you breed these, you're hopefully going to come back from your vacation with three mares in foal. That, that's quite a profitable vacation, potentially. It would eventually be profitable if all three got pregnant, but you don't know that. Six days is not, you know, it would be tough to, if you had a month, you could probably get it done with natural cover. But six days, you don't know if the mares will be ovulating or not. So you'd have to give me some kind of heads up so I could plan the ovulation thing. <laughs> okay. Well, that you would have. would give you fair warning, Catherine. Well, now let's talk about the three people that you would like to take on this vacation with you. Okay, I've only got six days, and I've already said that I don't really need a vacation because I love my life, and, and every day is a vacation. So I would like to do something. I would like to accomplish something. So I would take with me um, three people that I very much would like to speak with and see if I couldn't get some perspective from them. Those people would be Barack Obama, who I think would be fascinating to chat with for six days on a myriad of subjects. I would take Yitzhak Yitzhak Rabin, who is uh, no longer alive. He was um, a very well-known statesman from Israel and, and suffered, unfortunately, a tragic death. And I would take also Anwar Sadat, who was basically um, the Egyptian counterpart to that, and he also suffered a, a tragic death. But those two men were both statesmen. Um, I believe, I know that Anwar Sadat won the Nobel Peace Prize, and I know that Barack Obama has. I don't know if Yitzhak, Yitzhak Rabin won the Nobel Peace Prize. He, might, he may have. But Rabin and Sadat were both people who worked very hard uh, throughout the history of the time in their countries, Egypt and Israel, to try to come to some solution for the Arab-Israeli conflict. And I think that Barack Obama is a smart enough guy to also be able to move something in the Middle East. And what I would like to know is what these two guys, Rabin and Sadat, what they think about the Middle Eastern conflict now in comparison to what it was historically like, like during the time when they led their nations. And I'd like to be able to sit down and talk about it for six days and see if they could give Barack Obama an idea, something novel, something new, some bring some new fresh air to the situation that would help this crisis eventually be resolved in the Middle East. Remind our listeners, Catherine, of your heritage and why you're invested in this. Well, I'm Lebanese. I'm, I'm not necessarily personally invested in it because I've lived in America my whole life, but I do have a whole extensive family in Lebanon. And of course, they live up, up close and personal with the Arab-Israeli conflict because Lebanon shares a border with Israel. Um, I also happen to have a lot of very close uh, Israeli friends, and I know people from both sides of the conflict. I know both sides of the story, which is why I would, if I had a few days and could actually change something in the world, I would like to sit down and talk with some people who would be capable of making those changes. And I, I do think that our president, as much as people criticize him at home, he has very good reputation abroad, and I do think that he's one of the most articulate, intelligent and schwungful, what is that word in English? Uh, <laughs> he's one of the more, more ambitious presidents that we've had, and I think he's realistic. And I, I, that's my impression of the man anyway. And I would hope 
that he would be someone who would, I, in fact, I know that he is open to a historical perspective on things and also thinking outside of the box when it comes to problem solving. And I think if you, if you had a couple people, it, it, the problem with the Middle Eastern conflict is when you speak to contemporaries about the conflict, there's so much passion involved. There's so much hatred. I, I hate to say it, but there's so much hatred on both sides and so much distrust and so many black and white opinions that it's very difficult to sit both sides down at the same table and come to an agreement, which is why I would take two men from the past. Um, and Anwar Sadat, he doesn't really represent the Palestinians because he is um, an Egyptian, but he was favorable toward the Palestinians and very much a man of, I think, a man of peace. He wanted peace for his country and for that area of the Middle East. And I think if you took Anwar Sadat and Yitzhak Rabin, who was, in my opinion, one of the more um, uh, astute Israeli statesmen throughout the, the history of the nation of Israel, I think that those two men, now being removed now many years from, from the conflict when they actually lived it, I think that those two men could sit back, look at the historical, historical perspective, perhaps discuss it more openly than they ever did in their lifetimes, and offer some piece of advice to Barack Obama that might help the situation. And I, I realize I'm putting a lot of emphasis on the U.S. president, but let's face it, we are one of the most powerful factors in the Middle Eastern conflict. The United States is one of the more powerful factors. And we have a president right now who can lead and who is extremely articulate and perhaps could achieve something there. So you would put yourself in a position of, say, a peace negotiator, if you will, similar to Henry Kissinger. We'd play that role. Would, you, would Henry Kissinger sitting on your shoulder be helpful to you at this, or do you have your own ideas of how you would, you would carve this conversation out? And You know what? If I could take one more person with me, it would be Henry Kissinger, because I always had a great deal of respect for the way the man went about negotiating his uh, shuttle diplomacy, his, his willingness to speak to both sides and speak to them separately and come back and find a solution. And um, I, I was always a great admirer of Henry Kissinger, and I think he's a, still living, to, he is still living today. He's, a, he's an incredible wealth of information. And a, again, a person who understands the nuances of the Middle East, which that's hard to find. It's really hard to find people who understand not just both sides of the story, but all sides of the story and the nuances that are involved. So Henry Kissinger would be a great person to have there. But I think as a negotiator, I'm not, I'm not even skilled as a negotiator. I think that Barack Obama is perhaps more skilled than I am in that respect. I would probably just sit there and maybe ask a few pointed questions here and there. Um, I, I'm not sure that I would so much guide the situation as I would listen to it. It would be fascinating for me. What would you hope to be your takeaway then from this vacation, having had the opportunity to spend a week with these three key statesmen? I think it would be first first thing first. It would just be an absolute thrill to have that kind of, that kind of intellectual stimulation, the sort of conversation that you would be a part of in that group of people. Um, and secondly, I would hope I would hope that for my homeland, from the area of the world that my family comes from and still lives in there would be some measure of progress. I would hope that for the Palestinian people, there would be some measure of progress. And for the, for the Israeli people, that there would be some assurance of peace. Um, this is a state that's been in existence since 1940, uh, 1948, 
and it's basically been under fire from the very first moment that it was formed. The, the Israelis have had very few moments where they could breathe breathe easily and say, okay, we exist here, we're staying here, and this is this is you know a comfortable place for us. It's a it's a state that's been formed in the middle of hostile Arab nations. I would love to see some of that hostility um, become less. I, I would like to see it, see it diminish that hostility. And I would like to see the Palestinians get a fairer shake. Uh, and I would like to see all of that result in a less warlike Lebanon or a less siege-like Lebanon, because Lebanon has, has gotten the brunt force of a lot of what's happened in Israel. There have been a lot of factions that have, have come into Lebanon and moved into Lebanon in order to keep this border um, conflict going with Israel. And Lebanon has suffered, and the Lebanese people have suffered. And I, I've been to the Middle East. I've been to Lebanon. I've also been to Israel. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to Bethlehem. I would like, those are beautiful places, and they're very, very special places for many people in the world, not just the Israelis or the Palestinians. They're historical places. They're religious places. And they should be open for everyone. And I would hope, with three of the world's major religions springing from that area of the world, that they could also be a pinnacle of peace for the world. You, you know, you would hope that from religion. Unfortunately, it doesn't always happen that way. But you would hope that people could return to their more basic religious truths and spiritual truths and experience them in a part of the world that they sprang from. Now, you said you have a lot of family still in that area, but you were not born there, were you, no. Catherine? You were born in the States. Tell us a little bit about the family that you have in that area, which is why you're passionate, obviously, about its uh, stability. Well, in the, in the area of Beirut and also north of Beirut in a very small village called Aindara, uh, most of my family live between the two places, and I have many, many cousins. I, my father's brothers and sisters, uh, with the exception of one, are all uh, two are all still there. I have one uncle that's in America. My father also emigrated to America. Um, and I have then my Aunt Suzanne. I have my Aunt Najla, my Aunt Ida. Uh, she's not my father's sister, but she's married to my Uncle Rashid, who's my father's brother. And I'm probably going to forget one here, and then they're all going to be mad at me. But I have, I have an assortment of aunts and uncles that are still living in Lebanon, and then all of their children who are my age. They're my generation. My cousins, Rana and Rima and Abdullah and um, Ayman, and the people that they've married, the children that they've produced. I have second cousins. I have third cousins now. So my family probably extends to 30, 40 people in, in Lebanon. And that's, it's a small country. I mean, from one end to the other, it's like 200 kilometers. So it's, you, you know, you can't say that they live in different regions. You could, they can all get to each other within an hour or two. So you could here on the, this vacation potentially make them very proud of you if you could facilitate this conversation between these three statesmen. And, uh, maybe you know, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be seeking that. And, and I can tell you that the people who live this conflict um, don't want to talk about it to the other side. So they probably would be very angry with me <laughs> for, in, for interfering and for, for speaking with an Israeli, uh, for resurrecting an Israeli. That's probably the first thing they get pissed off about. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's why I think you need, in situations like the Middle Eastern conflict, you need to remove people from their from their natural habitat, habitat, 
you need to take them away from their countries. You need to take them to a place that's neutral. And you need to find a way to get them either to speak to each other or speak to a mediator. Because it's really tough to put an Israeli and a Palestinian in the same room. It's a sad thing for me to say. Um, and it's hard for, I think, many many people living in West, uh, Western Europe or America to even believe the level of hostility that exists between two peoples born on either side of that border. And it's, it's a tough thing to deal with. So it wouldn't be my goal to impress my family. It would only be my goal to hopefully achieve something that could, could help them in a general way in the future. Well, so far, this could be potentially a very productive vacation with the horses if they produce offspring, as you hope. And it mm-hmm. could also be you know, quite an historical um, occasion too insofar as you know having the opportunity to spend time with these three statesmen and and have that level of intellectual conversation so i'm thinking now that you're going to be ready for a little bit of downtime and to enjoy some music and books what have you chosen for your music Catherine? (laughs) i think on that that particular vacation with those three men i probably wouldn't bring along anything too jazzy you know i know what i would like to listen to in my downtime but i think um I would probably bring along some CDs, some audio CDs from the Dalai Lama, um, some talks from him on compassion and uh, opening the heart and uh, being receptive to to your worst enemies in order to learn, that sort of thing. <laughs> I'd probably bring along some CDs like that. I don't think we'd be listening to a lot of music unless it was... Um, Tina Turner just put out a brand new album um, and I can't remember the name of it but it has a lot of Buddhist chanting on it Tina Turner is a Buddhist as well and uh, she did some some chanting, some spiritual chanting and singing with two ladies from other religions I can't, oh, I can't remember the name of it but I'd take that one along that's a nice one So this would be more of spiritual accompaniment yeah. than, than musical entertainment Yes, I would say so, yes. In this case, yes. Now, is that, does that reflect your choice of listening? Is it, is it more incli- are you more inclined to listen to audiobooks rather than music, or do you have a place and a time for each of those? I would say I have a place and a time for each of those. When I work out, I want music, for sure. Um, I've been spending a lot of time with uh, Adele 21's uh, new album, Adele's new album, twenty. I think she called it 21, um, when I work out, I, I like to have music. When I ride, I like to have a bit of music in the background. Um, when I'm at home, though, more often than not, there's silence in my home, and I'm either reading, and a lot of the reading that I do is philosophical text. I spend a lot of time uh, in the middle 90s. And, no, sorry, not middle 90s. I'm dating myself here. Beginning 2000s, um, reading a lot of Buddhist philosophy, which fascinated me, and I still read a lot of that. And I, I actually cut out news, news channels, uh, newspapers, news magazines, any kind of outside influence for, I think it was three years, uh, from like 2001 to 2004. I didn't read anything from the rest of the world for quite a long time, and I read only Buddhist texts. After that, I started reading fiction again, and recently I've started listening to the news again and reading the news on the Internet. Um, I'm a much happier person when I don't read the news. But it does fascinate me what's happening in the rest of the world, so I'm, I'm catching up with it again. So is Buddhism something that you have practiced for a number of years, or is it new to you in terms of religion? Since since 2001. uh, I started studying Buddhist philosophy in 2001, and I continue to do so now. 
I try to practice as a Buddhist. I'm not always successful, but I do try. And uh, it's really helped my riding. It's helped my, my general level of happiness and my approach to my career. I'm, I'm very happy with the spirituality and the way of life that is prescribed in, in Buddhism. Well, you mentioned that you're a great reader there. So what books were you going to take on your vacation? Well, considering the company again, I think I would probably have to take a book of maps, <laughs> historical historical maps um, from Palestine from 2,000 years ago till present day, looking at how the borders have changed in Palestine from uh, basically the beginning of time as we know it. Um, yeah, a book of historical maps just to show borders changing and shifting and things like that because that's an area of the world where the borders have shifted and changed throughout the history, the, the known history of that region. So what we, what we see now today in border disputes between Israel and Palestine and Lebanon and Egypt, and well, between Lebanon and Egypt, we haven't really had, a, had a, the border moving around, but what we see is just an extension of history. And I think that would, be a perspective, would bring a perspective to the nego- negotiations and the talks between these people that would hopefully especially when you're bringing a couple dead people into the conversation, it would give them, you know, give Barack Obama and give these other two men a historical perspective on the conflict. But would that mean you wouldn't take anything to read? You wouldn't have anything on your nightstand? How are you going to relax at the end of the day after these conversations? And Well, I should hope that you'd be so exhausted that you just fall asleep. <laughs> I mean, that kind of intellectual stimulation can really exhaust a person. And if you've if only got six days to work on this, it's a complicated process. Plus, we'd have to be doing a lot of writing, a lot of note-taking. We'd have to be coming up with ideas, really brainstorming, writing stuff down. I don't think any one of us is going to have time for leisure reading. Well, it sounds like a fascinating choice of company, both with the horses and with the with the breeding plan and of course with your the people that you're going to take your company there for seven days. Well, now I get to tell you where you're going to go and uh, you're be fascinating. <laughs> yes. Now we're going to put this in context. I'm sending you on a New Zealand beach ride. Oh, okay. All right. So you'll get to explore the South Pacific. Um, as mm-hmm. I said, you're going to have extensive beaches and mm-hmm. you know acres and acres of open land which is why I was a little bit concerned letting the horses loose that you would be able to round them up at the end of this. I'll be fine they're on an island. Are we going to be on the North Island or the South um, Island? You're going to be on the North Island on the East Coast. Okay, okay. That's actually an ideal setting for my negotiations for, for these talks that I would like to have with these three men. Well I think it would be very peaceful. You'll be able to walk along the beach for hours on end too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So would would that mean that you'd be tempted to do anything else whilst you're on the beach? Or would you now, I mean, the idea of being in New Zealand and the fabulous riding there, you, you still wouldn't be tempted to go for a ride? No. No, no, no. I would I would turn Prince Slash loose with his three mares, and they'd have to find a nice grassy patch somewhere off the beach. And um, they'd just have to huddle together and do their thing when they could. Um, New Zealand is not that... Uh, uh, it's not exactly wilderness. I'm sure I could find a nice nice farm to put them on. <laughs> and on the edge of the beach, I'm sure we could set up a couple nice tables with beach umbrellas and sip sangria, sit on the beach, and talk about the Middle Eastern conflict. Have you been to New Zealand before? I have, indeed. 
So you're familiar with the cuisine and the climate, so that, yeah. that, that won't be much of an adjustment to you. What else would you like to do on that beach? Talk. I've only got six days. Yes, you, six and nights. You know, you have seven days, six nights. Yitzhak Ravine and Anwar Sadat are not necessarily attractive men, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> I'm not going to get any crazy ideas. So, no, I, I want to talk to these guys. I want to sit down. I want to, I want to brainstorm for six whole days. It might be that we all end up going for a swim at some point or another. I know that Barack Obama likes to hit the surf occasionally. Um, and he, he also likes to work out, so maybe he'll do some running on the beach. He can do whatever he wants to do as long as we get like 12 hours a day out of him. 12 hours a day, okay. Yeah, the other 12 hours he's free. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you, of course, why in this vacation you haven't chosen your new husband and one would expect and I know some of our listeners know that you got married and they're going to wonder why isn't she taking her husband on vacation well because every day that I'm with him is like a vacation ah. it's the same reason that I wouldn't that I wouldn't take my best horses with me I enjoy those things every single day um, I wouldn't take my husband with me well only because you, you only gave me three people to take along and if I'm gonna if I'm gonna negotiate a Middle Eastern peace, then I need someone from the Arab side, I need someone from the Israeli side, and I need the President of the United States. So there's no room for my husband. Now, if you said I could take four people, he would be the first one I would choose. Actually, he's the best guy to have along because first of all, he can take care of the horses. He's a veterinarian, so if anything goes wrong there, he can help them out. Second, he sings and plays guitar, so you don't need to bring any music CDs because he can provide the musical entertainment for you. He's a great cook. He can fish, and he can fix stuff. So if you get stuck on, like, a deserted island, he can, you know, whittle huts out of twigs and things. Well, he'd be the ideal Tarzan for many reasons. Absolutely. Now, if you had said to me I could take one person with me on holiday and two horses, I would have chosen him and Winnie and Cadillac. But you kind of, you know, you threw, every, you threw all that, those irons in the fire, and I thought, three people, why would I take, okay, then I have to do something different, you know? That's right. Well, it certainly has been different. It's been fascinating, Catherine. And I'm, I'm curious now, I know what you would like to achieve from, you know, from the horses uh, being productive and from your statesman's conversation of, you know, peace negotiations or at least a dialogue toward that end. What would you like to bring home from that New Zealand beach vacation at the end of the week? Physical things or other achievements? Anything. It could be. You know, I, I would like away. to have a sense. I'd like to have a sense of long-term possibilities. I wouldn't know if my mares were pregnant because we'd only be there for six days. But I'd like to have the sense that Prince Thatch at least got the job done and that the mares were receptive to him, to know that there was opportunities for the future with the mares and their offspring. So you're looking at a long-term uh, situation. And then I'd also like to walk away from my conversations with those three men, first being richer with knowledge, because I, I, this whole situation has always fascinated me. The history of the Middle Eastern conflict has fascinated me. Um, I kind of, th that was what I studied in school. That was my, my degree in school. And I kind of walked away from that career that I had planned for myself in order to do the horses. So I'm still fascinated by it, and I'd like to have some sense for myself what those guys really think is possible, why they think it's possible, why they think it's not possible. Um, and I would, I would like to have, some, again, some hope for the future that the two men 
coming from the past, Anwar Sadat and Yitzhak Rabin, could bring some perspective to this modern contemporary leader, Barack Obama, that would help him and give him enough insight to really create a situation where we could make progress on the Middle Eastern peace. How about a souvenir? Oh, yeah, sand dollar or something from the beach. I'm not much of a beach person, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, think, I personally think that all beaches should be paved. Um, <laughs> I don't like sand, okay? <laughs> I don't like getting sand in my bikini. I'm just not a sand person. Uh, take me to the mountains, put me on a river, put me on a glacial lake, I'm a happy camper, but I'm not much of, of an ocean and a beach person. Although, if you did happen to have a fly rod on hand, I would either go into the shallows, depending on what the ocean was like on the beach, and I would do some fly fishing there, or I'd traipse off in the evenings after negotiations were finished, and I would fly fish up in the hills above the coast. Well, we could certainly provide you with that and the opportunity to go up into those mountains and get away from the sand for a while. Catherine Haddad, thank you very much for sharing that with us, and uh, enjoy your dream vacation. Thanks very much. I'll do that. And during the course of the summer, I'll be inviting more guests here on the show and sending them off around the world on a different dream vacation. So tune in for more of that as the summer unfolds both here on the Dressage Radio Show and on the Jumping Radio Show and Eventing Radio Show. Well, we, before we come to our Words of Wisdom segment here, I want to remind you about our sponsors, Equestrian Collections, because they offer a rewards program where you can earn points for you and the riding organization of your choice. And that's their way of rewarding its valued customers and supporting the equestrian community. For every dollar you spend at Equestrian Collections, you will earn one point, And each time you accumulate 500 points, you'll receive a $25 reward certificate redeemable of course at equestriancollections.com and you can collect rewards too for your horse and celebrate his special day with a $10 reward certificate emailed to you during the month of your horse's birthday and redeemable again at equestriancollections.com and you'll find all of your favorite dressage brands like Rumpf International, Carrots, Fitz and Good Rider at Equestrian Collections which has everything dressage for both you and your horse so don't forget to check them all out at equestriancollections.com Equestrian Collections is a participating retailer of the Horse World Gives Back campaign Well we're coming now to our weekly segment called Words of Wisdom True lightness is the end result of the development of all the elements of the scales of training rhythm, suppleness Contact, impulsion, straightness and collection. Only when the horse is working through the body, der Klassigkeit, with the energy coming from the hindquarters through a supple and swinging back into an elastic and accepting contact with the bit, can the pushing power of the hind legs be transformed by the influence of the half-hold into carrying power that manifests itself into a state of lightness, both within the footfalls and the carriage of the horse. This extract is taken from Dressage Dreams 10 by Stephen Clark and published by Lewis Harding Limited in 2009. 
And finally, and a reminder of the opportunity for young reporters. If you're under 20 years of age and would like to come on the show here and report about your local show, we'd be delighted to hear from you. You have to be under 20. Just email me at chris at horseradionetwork.com. That is C-H-R-I-S, chris at horseradionetwork.com. Send me your information and where you are in the world. And, of course, it can be absolutely anywhere in the world if you'd like to report on your local show and tell us what you're doing in your neck of the woods. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget all our contact notes, our show notes are at the website at dressageradio.com and you can also visit horseworldgivesback.com as well and continue to support that campaign. As I say, all our connections, all the offers that we have with Audible, with Amazon and Hallway Feeds, they're all on our show notes, dressageradio.com. The Facebook fan page, of course, Dressage Radio, when you uh, go onto Facebook, check us out there and leave your comments and suggestions on there too. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Horse Radio and Chris E. Stafford. And don't forget, again, my email address, if you have any questions, comments or suggestions, send those to chris at horseradionetwork.com. Well, thank you for listening. I will be back same time, same place. Until then, enjoy. Thank you.